0: What's wrong with her? She's praying. She meant to peculiar cool you that way. What were we supposed to do? Wait. She our leader. Get her. Don't touch her. She's talking to God. they coming. We gotta go. We can't go this way. There's danger. God say which way we can go. Left. down. We cross. I can't swim. Me neither. Robert, care the baby. Isaac, help Miss Lucy. Uh, Junior, help Jane. This fool trying to drown us. Lindsay, you done gone fool crazy. We got an old woman and a baby with us. Oh, we ain't going in that river. Hey, come on, y'all. I say we are. you be free or die. I, I ain't leave my wife and my family to drown like no rat. You want not shoot me, hmm? Go ahead. Is she drowned? Who gon' lead us? She the only one know the way to freedom land. I want to see freedom land before I die. I'll lead you to the bridge. Follow me. Come on, now. Come on. Come on. Come on. Live at Yeah, you don't know whether to clap for a movie or not, right? Yeah. I don't know if how many of you know the story of Harriet Tubman, uh, but it's a pretty incredible story. I, I wouldn't consider myself an expert or a scholar, uh, but it's a story worth diving into. And maybe you don't like biographies, and maybe you don't like read dry history like some of us do, but the movie from which we took the scene... Um, Simply entitled entitled Harriet, is actually a really good movie. I'll warn you ahead of time, it has some language, it has some violence um, depicting the historical slavery and what happened there, but from what I can tell, it's a good account of her life, and it's a good account of things that actually transpired. Harriet Tubman escaped slavery virtually on her own through miraculous means that are talked about in the movie, but she then led 19 trips back into the South and from the best numbers they can come up with, she led about 300 people, um, 300 slaves into a place of freedom. She actually took on the nickname in the Underground Railroad of Moses. Um, she said that she had never lost a passenger on her train in that story. Now, it is interesting. You wonder, did she ever point a gun at people? She absolutely said if somebody defected on her trip, she would shoot them. That it was be It would be better for one to die than for everyone to lose their freedom. She said she never had to shoot anybody, thank God, but she said she was willing uh, if she had to do it. When asked how she did what she did, Tubman said she would listen carefully to the voice of God as she led slaves north, and she would only go where she felt God was leading her. Fellow abolitionist Thomas Garrett said of her, I've never met any person of any color with any more confidence in the voice of God. Now, I understand that the clip you saw in her story is an extreme example. Her calling was in an extreme time in the history of the United States of America. But I think what you just saw in her story is an example of somebody using well her, and I want you to list this, she used well her spiritual gift. See, the Apostle Paul talked a great deal about spiritual gifts. They're very important because our purpose in life is actually tied to the way we're gifted. There are several passages Paul talks about it, but the most expansive teaching on spiritual gifts is 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. I implore you to read it this week. Read it several times and really dive in. In the 27th verse of chapter 12, Paul said, now you, this word is plural, so now y'all, is the way you could do it, are the body of Christ. And individually, each one of you is a part of it. See, this is a summary of what Paul has been saying in chapter 12. Every follower of Jesus is gifted. Whether you feel it or not, whether you think it's true or not, it doesn't matter. God has deposited something of himself in every follower of Jesus that he wants to use for his glory and honor. But they're never the same. It's like we're a body, And just as our bodies have different parts and they don't do the same function, but we need all of them to do what they're designed to do so that we can have a healthy body, so it is with the body of Christ. Each one of us is designed to be used by God to show his grace to one another and to the world. In fact, the way that God shows his grace to one another and to the world is through us. The church, that is what we unpacked at length a couple of weeks ago. So if you weren't here, I really would encourage you to go online, grab the message and listen to it. But we need to hear, God doesn't give spiritual gifts to me for me. He doesn't give them so that I can have a platform, so that I can be seen by people. He wants to show his love to the world. It is why in verse 31, Paul says, and I will show you still the more excellent. Somebody say excellent. The more excellent way, the more excellent way is having the love of Jesus in me. That love spurs me to use the gifts or he is gifts he has given in me for the sake of others. That's what we see in Harriet Tubman. I mean, think about it. She was born into slavery. She became a free person at the age of 29. So 29 years she spent in slavery. You would think once you become free, and it was pretty miraculous the way she became free, that she would just say, hey, I I need to enjoy my freedom. I can serve people when they get to this place when they're free, et cetera, but I, I need to just enjoy my freedom. But the love of Jesus compelled her. The love of Jesus compelled her to risk her life on behalf of others, to use the gift that God had given her to give the Father's power and grace to others. That's what we talked about last week. Jeffrey and Jake did a great job of talking about love and spiritual gifts and how they have to go hand in hand. I believe one of the spiritual gifts that Harriet Tubman walked in was the gift of prophecy. Six times in the New Testament, spiritual gifts are talked about. And every one of those spiritual gifts represents something that each of us does at a certain level, but people who are gifted in it do it at a heightened level. Like every Christian, just like every Christian is gifted, I believe every Christian can hear the voice of God. In fact, I believe we should hear the voice of God. Now, I don't have time to unpack the different ways God speaks to us, et cetera, but we can, we should all hear. But someone who has the gift of prophecy hears God at a heightened level. They're going to hear God better. They're going to hear him more specifically. They're going to hear him at a level greater than those who don't have that gift, which is exactly what we see in Tubman. But let's be really honest here. You ready? When I start throwing out thoughts like hearing God and prophecy, we're starting to edge into the weird category, aren't we? We're starting to think this gets a little bit odd. There's an old joke used often in our society. You know, it's one of those jokes that's not meant just to be funny, but it's meant to make a point. The joke goes like this. You know, when someone prays, when someone um, talks to God, we call it prayer. When God talks back to the individual, we call that crazy. We call it schizophrenia. We call it So, And believe it or not, I understand this. In us wanting to love as many people as we can, as a church, we run across people with mental illness all the time. And I've had people with mental illness have grand delusions of hearing God in grand ways. I get it. And I've been around those who are mentally, not mentally ill, but they were abusing the idea of hearing God. They were trying to manipulate people, control people, walk in a place of power. But I want you to hear that we don't react to an abuse by negating the thing that's being abused altogether. I know preachers who've abused pulpits. They've preached for financial gain. They've preached for recognition or whatever. I know people who've uh, abused leadership, and they did it to get immoral things in life. But we don't quit preaching, do we? We don't quit leading. And in the same way, just because people abuse the idea of hearing God doesn't mean we quit trying to hear God, especially when Jesus said, the sheep hear the shepherd's voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. Jesus is clear. Hearing God, especially hearing God in the face of the abuses of other people, is key to the life that we are called to live as his followers. But, and this is what I really want you to grab hold of today, I understand that concepts like that are outside what are considered the norm of our society. In fact, Many of the things that we could call God normal are outside what is normal in our culture. This is not a new thing. It's not an American thing. It goes all the way back to the first century followers of Jesus. The scripture says, dear friends, I urge you as aliens, say aliens. Now, when we picture alien, we picture the space creature, right? They're probably just picturing in that first century someone from another culture. But someone who is an alien, someone who is a stranger in this world, I urge you to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Many of the things we consider sinful will make us an alien in our culture. Drunkenness. Our society promotes the party life. Promotes the idea of getting out there, having fun, getting drunk, getting wasted, just having a good old time, right? And the scripture calls it sinful. Sinful. Let's talk about the big one right now, human sexuality. The Bible talks a lot about human sexuality, and it's beautiful. The scripture tells us God created sex. That's not what you often you hear in the church, but God created sex, but he created it for a purpose. His purpose was to bring a oneness, a unity between a man and woman in the covenant of marriage. In that covenant, Um, sexuality brings joy, it brings pleasure, it brings procreation, it brings um, so many things in life. God said, I made this for your benefit and for your good. However, anything outside the way I made it, so any heterosexual activity, outside the way I made it, any homosexual activity outside the way I made it, any kind of activity whatsoever outside my design, that design, one man, one woman in the covenant of marriage, anything outside of that is sinful because it works against you. However, if you say on social media that's what you believe, whoo, all of a sudden the words are going to fly, right? If you tell somebody that you hold to a biblical standard of sexuality somebody's going to look like you're not only odd you're not only weird you're not only strange but you're an alien it's like you're from another planet right this is our reality see I've made a discovery and we don't want to hear this but it is truth you can't really follow Jesus and not have people even some of the people you love some of them are called biological family some of them are friends you can't really follow Jesus and not have people think you're a bit odd Why? Because there are things that the scriptures say are normal that are outside what culture says is normal. There's God normal and there is cultural normal in life. And the question we face every day of our life, are we going to embrace what God says is normal or what society says is normal? And I'll be honest with you, when it comes to spiritual gifts, it's not just prophecy. That seems outside the norm of our culture. A lot of the spiritual gifts talked about in the Bible, some of the ones that you looked at on the assessment that I hope that you've taken and looked at, they are considered weird, odd, and outside the norm in our society. Like, we live in a society that basically holds to an empirical worldview, A material worldview. What I mean by that is the world of materialism says that there are five senses. You can see, you can smell, you can taste, you can hear, you can touch. And we know the totality of reality by what we gain from our senses. If I cannot perceive something from my senses, if I can't see it, I can't taste it, I can't smell it, I can't hear it, I can't touch it, then it's not real. So what do you do with things like the devil? I can tell you I've never seen the devil. I've never, well, I I will say I've heard the devil, but our society would say you haven't because I think every temptation is the voice of the enemy. So what our society does with the idea of the devil is mock the idea. Look up online sometimes, look at the church lady skits from Saturday Night Life, which are funny, by the way. See what they say about, look up like a movie like Little Nicky with Adam Sandler, and we just mock the idea of an enemy, of the devil. What a great strategy of the enemy, to convince you he's not real. Makes his job pretty easy to let you know the truth. So our society struggles with the idea of an unseen spiritual world, which when you hear like one of the gifts of the spirit is the discerning of spirits. Well, you don't need to discern spirits because spirits don't exist. Our society is pretty skeptical of the idea of miraculous healing. Or the idea of any other kind of miracle. And both healing and miracles is listed as a spiritual gift. And then you take the big one. I'll just throw it out there for you because we're hitting it today. You take the idea of tongues. Tongues is the idea that God will pray through us by his spirit in a language that you do not know. That could be a human language that is either present or from the past. It could be a human language that has not yet been created. Or, this is a big one or it's a heavenly angelic language. And you say you believe that God might be doing something like that, and you will be considered over-the-top nutso in our society. Yet the Bible we hold to be the word of God starts in 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. I don't think that's hyperbole at all. I believe one of the gifts that God gives people is the ability to pray in a language that they do not know. It could be human. It could be angelic. Sometimes he lets people know what they're praying. Sometimes he doesn't. To be honest with you, it's a gift I think I have. Decades ago, like when the first Top Gun movie came out, I was... How many of you were not born when Top Gun came out? Put your hands. That's just sad. Don't put your hands down right now. (laughs) Some of you are saying, "Well, I was like four. Mom didn't let me see it when it happened." Back in the day, I ran across the scripture. We're going to talk about it next week. Pursue love, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. I think the way you earnestly desire the spiritual gifts is two ways. One, you earnestly desire to use what God is giving you. You discover what He's giving you, and you use it. Second you also look at things that the body of Christ needs that you don't think are being utilized, and you ask God to begin to do it in you so he can expand what you're doing. Earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. So what I did, I know it shocks you, I'm a little bit obsessive. I made a list of all the spiritual gifts I saw in the New Testament. At the end of the assessment that you can get, there's a QR code on the front of your park news. It's gonna be coming online to you guys. You can take this assessment. There'll be a list of spiritual gifts that you can do in that assessment. It's a great tool. Again, we'll unpack it more next week. I did something similar to that because there's a little debate on the nature of spiritual. There's like 25 to 28 spiritual spiritual gifts talked about in the New Testament. So I made a list of all of them. And I decided I was gonna pursue every one of the spiritual gifts. Sounds simple. Now, I understood from the Bible God wasn't gonna give me all of them, but if I figured if I pursued all of them, I would get more of them than if I pursued none of them, right? So I, I went after it. I had my whole list and at the bottom of the list with the gift of tongues and I never asked God for the gift of tongues. Prayed for all the other gifts. Prayed that God would work it in my life, but I had never asked Him for the gift of tongues. And one time, when I was praying, I didn't pray this like every day. I would do it in a season. I would quit for a season. I'd pray it for a season. And one time in the season, I was praying for the spiritual gifts, and I felt like God asked me. I know that feels a a little weird to say, but I felt like God asked me, David, why don't you ask me for the gift of tongues? And my answer was simple: I don't want it. (laughs) It's weird. And I don't want to be one of those weird people. And I remember so clearly the question I felt like the Spirit of God asked me. David, why wouldn't you want anything that I would have to give you? Man, is that not an incredible question? It's a question for us today. Why wouldn't I not only want, but hunger for anything that God wants to give me, no matter how it is he wants to give it to me? So I started adding tongues to the list that I was praying for. Now, to be perfectly honest, I still didn't want it. But out of obedience, I asked. But what I really wanted to do is I wanted to prophesy. I wanted like a Harriet Tubman type thing. Woo! I wanted miracles. I wanted faith. I got tongues. For over three decades, almost every day of my life, I pray in tongues. To this day, I have no idea what I'm praying. Weirds my brain out. Pushes my control buttons. But I can't tell you how many times, it's in the thousands of times that I have been praying for a situation I had no idea how to pray for. A circumstance in somebody else's life, a circumstance in my life, and I didn't know how to pray. I would just begin to pray with what 1 Corinthians 14 says, I prayed not with my mind but with my spirit. It's a gift. So when my grandson was in an accident, and we didn't know if he was going to live, And that first night, I had used up every English word that I knew how to use. I only have like eight Spanish words, so that didn't go very far. Um, And all I could do was pray as I've been praying for three decades. I still don't know how or what I prayed in that. To be honest with you, I, I hesitate even to share the story with you. In fact, I wasn't going to do it. And I kept feeling God say, share it, share it. I was like, they're going to think I'm weird. And I felt like God said, weirder than they already think you are. Um, but then it hit me. We have a choice to make. If you're not noticing, the ways of the kingdom of God and the ways of our culture are diverging. Now, we can get angry about it or... We can take on the heart of Jesus and say, I'm going to pursue first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and I'm going to hold to the things of the kingdom, and I'm going to be light in the midst of the darkness that is ever growing. So we don't need to get angry about it, but we need to know the reality that as we pursue the kingdom of God, there is going to be a greater and greater divergence from what is considered normative in our culture. I want the kingdom of God. And if that means some people think I'm out there, I don't want to be out there for the sake of being out there. I just want to be a man of the book. I want to hold to it in every way that I can. And I think it's a word for us today. Don't limit how God will work in and through your life. Something the American church needs to hear right now. Don't limit the way he's gonna work. See, I'm afraid we're missing so much of how God wants to work in our lives because we say, God, I want you to work in my life, but here's the little box in which I'm willing to let you work. If you work this way in ways that I find to be palatable, then you can work in that. See, the struggle that believers have always had is this. We've struggled to interpret the Bible through the lens of culture when we should be interpreting culture through the lens of the Bible. So we struggle, we all do. We struggle to believe what the scripture says is normal when it contradicts, seems odd, seems weird to what our culture says is normal and such. We struggle. In fact, when it comes to spiritual gifts, many in the church have taught that certain facets of spiritual gifts ended at a certain point in Christian history. I would challenge that that is an accommodation to the culture and what happened. You see, some of us have been taught that certain spiritual gifts have actually ceased. It's called the doctrine of cessationism. Cessationism says God worked miraculously in days gone by, but as soon as certain things happened, he ceased to work that way today. Now listen to me. There are wonderful, Jesus-loving, Bible-believing followers of Jesus who hold to that. I just disagree. Side note. We gotta learn to disagree once again with honor and respect. Hear me? I honor. I mean, I can think of friends. I can think of people I've read who utterly disagree with me on this. I get it. I love them. I respect them. I honor them. I just disagree and such. And we gotta learn to do that once again in our life. The primary support that people use to believe in this doctrine of cessation is actually from 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. Paul says in verse 13, love never ends. As for prophecies, they will what? Pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it is going to pass away as well. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, key word there, but when the perfect comes, sorry, didn't change, when the perfect comes, The partial, the imperfect, is going to pass away. It's going to disappear. So the verse makes it clear that there will be a day, someday, when spiritual gifts, tongues, prophecy, knowledge, and all they represent will be done and gone away with. When is that day? When the perfect, say perfect. When the perfect comes, that's when it's going to happen. The question, who or what is the perfect? Those wonderful Jesus-following people who believe in cessationism believe that the perfect is the Bible. That the perfect is the word of God, that as soon as the Bible was completed, the canon of scripture was completed, then God ceased to work miraculously because he no longer had to confirm the word of God through miracles and such. Again, I understand where they come from, but I utterly disagree. I believe if you look at it historically, it's it's an accommodation to culture. What happened historically? Back in the days of the Enlightenment, so right after the Dark Ages, the days of the Enlightenment, The Western world began to be skeptical of the supernatural, began to be skeptical of the unseen, began to no longer believe in a spiritual world. And soon the doctrine of cessationism came along to say, well, yeah, God doesn't do this anymore, but he once did them and such. You hear it? However, I disagree because I don't think the perfect is referring to the Bible. And the reason is I kept reading 1 Corinthians 13. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now, we see in a mirror dimly, but then, when is then? When the perfect comes, we will see face to face. Now I know in part, then, when the perfect comes, I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. When will we know fully? When will we see face to face? Does anybody feel like we know fully right now? Any of us think we're seeing face to face right now? No, it's gonna happen when the perfect comes. It is gonna happen, believe it or not, when the perfect one comes, when Jesus returns. Would it not be great if it were today? When he comes back, the perfect one comes. The imperfect will disappear. So listen to me. Some of you are saying in David, so you're saying spiritual gifts are imperfect. Yes. Not unimportant, but imperfect. Imperfect in that what happens is this. When you use your gift, you use your gift, you use your gift, you use your gift. Even way back up there, even way back up over here, you use your gift. And we all do it. We're the body of Christ, and we present Jesus, but we do it imperfectly. But when Jesus comes back, those things will no longer be needed. Paul's point is you're not going to take your gift to heaven. Don't make too much of it, because what you're going to take to heaven is your love. Your gift is for now. It's not unimportant, it's just temporary. Spiritual gifts being used in love by every believer is the way Jesus shows himself to the world right now. It isn't the perfect representation of Jesus, but it is how God is working right now. But when Jesus comes and we see him utterly and completely perfect, there will no longer be any need for spiritual gifts. But until then, spiritual gifts are what we have. So hear me, don't limit how God's gonna work in your life. Don't limit how God might work through your life, maybe, this will stretch some of you, maybe you're one of the next Harriet Tubman's. And now some of you are going, dude, you don't know me. No way it could be me. Why not you? Because it's not about you. It's about the spirit of God in you. And so it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter your past. It doesn't matter what talents you think you have, what upbringing you have, etc. It's about the spirit of God in you. How about we just get to a place where we don't limit how God might want to work? How about we go back to the book and just be a people of the book? Don't limit how God is going to work in your life and through your life. He wants to work in ways that are outside the norm. Now, even as I say that, don't swing the pendulum and say everything that's purported to be spiritual is really of God. We have to be a people who are discerning. We are to be discerning not discerning. Not everything purported to be from God is from God. But what is the source of our discernment? It's not the norms of our culture. The source of our discernment is scripture and scripture alone. And I'm just going to tell you right now, I can show you a lot of things in scripture that if they happened today, we would be considered really, really out there. Really, really weird. It's just amazing what God is doing. Don't limit how God might want to work into through your life. One example. If you've been around Beltway Park, we're going to end the service. We're going to wrap this thing up, believe it or not, in 10 to 12 minutes. You say, no way. You watch. It's going to happen. And then what's going to happen in the end, I'm going to pull out this little slip of paper out of my back pocket, right? And I am going to invite people down for prayer. Now, even of itself, that offends some of us. The idea that I would need somebody to pray for me. I mean, I can pray. I can pray to God. God can work in my life. That's the way I want God to work in my life. And sometimes we limit the fact that the way God wants to bring breakthrough in our lives is through the prayer of someone else. But I'm just going to tell you right now, if you are not allowing people to pray into your life, speak into your life, do things in your life, you're missing probably 95, 98% of the grace of God in your life. And you're crying out to God, God, I need your grace. And he's saying, I got a whole body of people out there to give you grace. And as long as you keep limiting it that way, you're not going to get it. And then we have what we call prayer words. They are our attempts to be Prophetic. Pure and simple, we're trying to hear God. God, what do you want us to pray about today? So number one, parent that is desiring their home to be peaceful. <laughs> That's every home out there, right? But we feel like there's a parent that wants to lead out in this but doesn't know how. So you could say, well, that works for me, God. Help me lead out. Or you can say, I'm going to take a step, and I'm going to see if God doesn't give me a breakthrough in this area. And see, it be true. Now, am I utterly convinced that every one of these words is from God? No. We know in part, and we prophesy in part, which means we sometimes don't know, and sometimes our prophecies are wrong. We hold them loosely. We have to be discerning, right? Does that make sense? But what if we just started taking steps of faith to say, God, I just hunger for the way you want to work, and I don't care how it is you want to do things in my life. I'll do it. Like, let me give you an example. The other day, this wasn't too long ago. One word we had, I think it was on Thursday night. Just one of our prayer partners had the number 97, so he wrote down the word 97. Now, you got to realize I make fun of our prayer partners all the time. It's like, you guys are getting all these odd little things. I'm the one that has to read them, and everybody thinks it's me. It's not me. It's them, okay? But we got the number 97. We had no idea what it means because that's often what God does. He gives you a snippet of something, and then somebody has to take a step of faith, and when somebody takes a step of faith, things begin to unpack. So we got the number 97. We kind of watched if anybody came for 97. No one came for 97. We were about to leave, and all of a sudden, um, probably 20 minutes after service, a lady came back into the room. A young lady, she had actually gotten into her car, left, got to the highway, and turned around because she felt like it was for her. And so before she could tell us why the number 97 was significant to her, the prayer partner that she was talking to, who happened to be the one who got that prayer word, had another step, another layer of revelation, and just began to speak to her and said, said, I just want you to know, like even while you were saying, before you tell me what this means to your life, I got this image that of Jesus saying that the good shepherd will leave the 99 and he'll go find the one. He'll look after the one. But I need you to hear that even while he's looking after the one, he's still watching the 99. He doesn't lose sight of the 99. He hasn't lost vision of them. And he still sees number 97 out of 99. She just begins to weep, is undone. She has a brother born in 1997, who was eaten up with cancer. And we don't know what the end of his life's going to be, but he had told her recently, I want to hope in God, but I feel like in the midst of this, God has lost sight of me, and he no longer sees me. And she was able to carry a word of hope back to her brother. All because a prayer partner was willing to be out there on the edge and take a risk being a little odd and she was willing to come at the expense of being a little bit odd and weird and receive and God spoke so powerfully in her life. Are you hearing me? What if we become a people who no longer limit the way God wants to work in us? I I can't tell you how he's going to work into you. I'm not going to always say it's going to be so dramatic, but what if we just quit limiting and how about we quit limiting how God wants to work through us? Guys, I, I could tell you so many more stories that would leave you utterly amazed. But they shouldn't shock us, right? Do we not read amazing stories in the Bible? Why would we not expect that Jesus, who's the same yesterday, today, and forever, why do you think he would do them in days of old and not do them today? The God who did still does today. And we've got to be a people who have enough faith to say, God, we need you to work and however you want to work. Whatever you want to do in me, God, however you want to do through me, I want to be a part of that. See, I have a suspicion about every one of us. My suspicion is if you are participating, you came to the South Campus, you came to the North Campus, you're online, I suspect you're here because you don't want to be normal. And I suspect you don't want to be normal because if you just wanted to be like the rest of society, you don't come here. I mean, who worships, raises their hands, and kneels, sits? Who prays? Except those who want something different. See, I suspect you're here because at some level, you know there's something more, more than what is considered the norm of our society, that we hunger. I want that. I want my life to be a life of supernatural grace. I want my life to be story after story after story of God working in me in ways that I can't explain. And I want my life to be a story of grace that He empowers me to give to others that I know is not me, is nobody. And I bet, just deep down, I bet you're the exact same way. And that's why you're here. And I implore you, Beltway Park, don't limit, begin to expect. Don't limit. Begin to hunger. Don't limit. And begin to see what God might do in you. Begin to see what God might do through you. So let's do this. Let's take a moment. We're going to pray quickly. Why don't you bow your heads. Put your notes up. I believe we need to take a step of faith. Because here's what I'm going to think is going to happen. I think God wants to do work right now even among masses of people. You're online, I want you to participate. If you're in North Campus, I want you to participate. But if you would be willing to say, God, I don't want to limit how you will work in my life. If you want to choose to use other people, I will accept other people. If you want to do things outside my comfort zone, just, just a word for you. The comfort zone is what is going to destroy the vitality of our faith. If you ever get in a comfort zone completely and say, I never want to leave this place, it'll destroy the vitality of your faith. The comfort zone is maybe the greatest enemy to a vital faith right now that exists in our nation. I don't want to get comfortable. I want to be content, but not comfortable. I want to be content, but still hunger. And if you would say, God, I just want you to work in my life. I need grace. And I'm not going to limit. I'm asking, for, I'm asking you for a power, not to limit the way you will work in my life. I don't want to limit that in any way. If you say that honestly to God, put your hand up right now real high. Man, me too. too. You can put your hands down. If you would say, God, I don't want to limit how you will work through my life. I believe in the days to come there is going to be an unpacking an impartation of more and more spiritual gifts. And there's going to be some of you that are going to be used in ways that you would not have dreamed of. But this day, right now, you're going to take a step and say, God, maybe you would use me to speak prophetically to people's life. Maybe there would be gifts and miracles come through me. If you would just say, God, I don't know how you want to use me, I will believe you'll take something that our society considers normal and use it in supernatural ways. Leadership, administration, whatever. If you would just say, God, I don't want to limit how you would use me. I want to be open to whatever you want to do through me by your grace. Put your hand up right now. Me too. So, Jesus, we lay this before you. I pray that you would impart love to us in a deep way that motivates us to use what you've placed within us. Show each of us what you've already placed within us. But let us hunger for more. And we don't want to place any limitations on you, oh God. Work in us in grand ways. And work through us in grand ways. And may we always give praise, honor, and glory to you. Because it's in Jesus these things happen. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.